Welcome to the EMS Nation podcast. I'm your host, Faison Arshad. Today, stay tuned for an incredibly exciting episode that is recorded by one of our great friends and colleagues, Dr. Phil Moy of the PEC podcast. Now recently, we have discussed double sequence defibrillation, but as the literature base continues to grow, Dr. Moy weaves a very beautiful tale of the evolution of pre-hospital research that was sparked initially by an idea, blossomed into a case study, and then also led to increasing amounts of research in the pre-hospital space regarding this topic. He interviews several different authors of papers that have recently been published on double sequence defibrillation, or in other words, the practice of using two defibrillators concurrently in order to defibrillate refractory ventricular fibrillation. Now, this podcast is initially published on the PEC podcast, and we strongly encourage you to check it out on iTunes as PEC Podcast. And I also want to take a moment to give a shout out to the other co-hosts of the PEC Podcast, all of whom I consider great friends. Dr. Joel D'Onofrio from UCSD, Dr. Jerry Escajeda from the University of Pittsburgh, and Dr. Scott Goldberg from Boston EMS. So stay tuned for an exciting episode and journey through the literature with Dr. Phil Moy, the host of the PEC Podcast. Hey listeners, welcome to our small batch episode. Today, we're talking about double sequential defibrillation. To catch up our listeners who missed our preview in last month's episode, we start with an early summer day in St. Louis. The humidity is high, and the sun is beating down on the city. A group of guys are playing basketball outside. The sun is relentless in spreading its heat, and 40-year-old Will, let's just call him that for privacy purposes, is driving to the basket. He jumps to lay the ball up, and his momentum takes him into the basketball pole. His chest strikes the pole at just the right time and sends his heart into a fatal rhythm called ventricular fibrillation. This extremely rare event occurs as a result of a blow to the chest directly over the heart at a critical time during the cycle of a heartbeat causing cardiac arrest. He had just experienced what we call in medicine, commotio cordis. Almost immediately, Will collapses and goes into cardiac arrest. Within seconds, everyone crowds around him. Someone starts CPR, and at 2.15 in the afternoon, someone calls 911. 911, what's your emergency? Fire and EMS are dispatched to the scene, while 911 tells the bystanders to continue CPR. The fire department arrives first. They immediately take over the scene and begin treating the cardiac arrest. An automatic external defibrillator, or AED, is placed on Will's chest, and the monitor reads ventricular fibrillation. Shock advised. 
The treatment at this point is defibrillate or shock at 200 joules, CPR, and epinephrine. Wash, rinse, repeat. The first responders repeat this process three times before EMS arrives. The paramedics take over the scene and realize that Will is still in a shockable rhythm, ventricular fibrillation, and could still be saved. Per their medical protocols, the paramedics proceed to transport the patient to the hospital at 2.33 p.m. That's 18 minutes later. While en route, they continue the original treatment of shock, CPR, and epi three more times. Well, I was the emergency department physician on duty when... That's Dr. David Tan. The pre-hospital report came in saying that EMS was en route with a uh, V-fib arrest. One of the authors for the article, Double Sequential Defibrillation for Refractory Ventricular Fibrillation, a case report, and medical director of Abbott EMS in St. Louis. Multiple shocks on scene, um, and it was a younger patient, apparently uh, suffered during a, a basketball game or some kind of a sporting event. And so all of us in the emergency department had this feeling that, you know, this is somebody that we can get back. They're still in a shockable rhythm. They're a young person. It occurred during a sporting event. And we didn't know at the time all the details. We just knew that it was in a park or uh, some kind of venue, sporting venue, where this happened. And so we prepared to uh, receive the cardiac arrest patient, knowing that he had been shocked several times. At this point, a total of six shocks. From my memory of reading the paper, uh, you tried change of vector first? Yes. So, so knowing what has been done by our cardiology colleagues and what has been done by some of our pre-hospital, uh, some of the pre-hospital case reports, we know that before you do a double sequential shock, you try it to at least change the vector. So that's actually what we did. Because EMS had already shocked the patient several times. I believe it was five or six times already before they arrived in the wow. emergency department. The very first shock that we delivered in the emergency department was actually a change of vector. So we left their pads on, we put our pads on, delivered a shock with a different vector, hoping that that would, be the, that would do the trick. And uh, with the plan that if that didn't, we would go ahead and hook into the EMS pads and do a double sequential shock. Now, wait a minute. Normally, any emergency medicine physician, paramedic, or healthcare professional will continue to do the same thing at this point, which is chest compressions, shock, a milligram of epi, chest compressions, shock, a milligram of epi, chest compressions, shock, a milligram of epi. But here's where Dr. Tan and team did something different. He wanted to try something called double sequential defibrillation. Double sequential defibrillation, otherwise known as near double sequential defibrillation, or DSD for short, is using two independent defibrillators. That's Dr. Faison Arshad, an EMS physician in New York City. We'll talk more with him later on this podcast. To provide near simultaneous shocks uh, for a patient in refractory VF, or ventricular fibrillation. Now... Before we tell you what happens to Will, let's look at Dr. Tan's decision to DSD the patient. A lot of EMS and non-EMS providers would ask Dr. Tan why he did it. One, what's the basis of DSD? 
Where did this idea of DSD come from? Number two, theoretically, how does it work? And number three, what does the evidence show? So let's first take a look at where this idea of DSD came from. So there's not, there's not a lot of evidence out there in the pre-hospital realm um, or even in the emergency department about double sequential defibrillation. That's Dr. Aurora Liebeck, first author of the manuscript Double Sequential Defibrillation for Refractory Ventricular Fibrillation, a case report. But the deeper you dig into the evidence and into the literature, the more interesting stuff kind of comes out. Back in 1940, they started doing um, experiments in, this is kind of, it, there's uh, Dr. Wiggers, his name is out there a lot, and he did a lot of what I think initial um, defibrillation studies and things like that, looking at different voltages and pad placement. And one of the things that he did um, was essentially double defibrillation. So they called it serial defibrillation then. And it was a series of rapid shocks um, in near, near simultaneous succession and found some really good success rates with that. Then there were other studies done in the electrophysiology labs. Uh, that's where we get a lot of our, the bulk of the literature on this. And essentially, this is, you know, there's several different studies, but these EP doctors or electrophysiology doctors that are in the lab, the patient goes into V-fib unexpectedly and they shock them out of it. So Dr. Hoke studied 3,000 patients um, over like a period of three years in his EP lab, and he had um, over 5,000 different procedures. They had five patients who had refractory V-fib, and they were patients that would, they would shock. They're, of these patients that had refractory V-fib, uh, seven up to 20 times. So I just want to like put that out there for a second. There was a patient in their lab who went into refractory V-fib that they shocked 20 times. <laughs> and the one time that they did double sequential, they got him out of it. So all five of those patients that have refractory V-fib, as soon as they did the double sequential defibrillation, it shocked him out of it. Um, now, there's other studies out there trying to look at why this happens, and it's not exactly clear. There's some theory that um, so the cardiac myocytes um, will depolarize quickly, rapidly in two different directions. And so, we, it, again, this is pretty deep into the electrophysiology literature, um, but we, there's, it seems to be something about the two different shocks coming from two different angles or vectors um, in rapid succession that helps the cardiac myocytes kind of remember what to do and go back into sinus rhythm. Okay, so we have a possible theory as to how DSD works. But like Dr. Liebeck said, Double sequential defibrillation started in the lab, but now it's appearing in the pre-hospital field. The PEC podcast team gives a shout-out to our pioneers, EMS Systems in Oregon and Alaska, of putting DSD on the map for EMS. But the question we have now is whether this procedure is feasible in a larger community. Instead of single patient studies, we want to know about its applicability for all of our patients. Can DSD be done on a bigger scale? So we dove into our PEC journal archives and found a manuscript that may be PEC journal's very first DSD article that coincidentally attempts to answer the feasibility question. Published in 2014, the manuscript is titled Double Sequential External Defibrillation in Out-of-Hospital Refractory Ventricular Fibrillation, a report of 10 cases. So in essence, that's Dr. Jose Cabanas. We uh, implemented, uh, this is part of our standardized approach to manage refractory VF patients in, uh, you know, a little earlier than that time frame. 
lead author of the article, Double Sequential External Defibrillation in Out-of-Hospital Refractory Ventricular Fibrillation, a report of 10 cases. And, and that came as a recommendation from some of our colleague cardiologists in the community, uh, from some of our uh, hospital networks. When we asked the question to them, we're seeing some patients that essentially we shock him, shock him, and, and they don't respond to the standard therapy and our standard protocol. What other options do we have? And they recommended, have you thought about uh, using double sequential defibrillation for those patients? So uh, at the recommendation, we implemented uh, the protocol, and because it was the first time that we were aware of this technique being used in the pre-hospital setting, we decided to do a retrospective case series and kind of publish uh, our initial data to communicate kind of the procedure and show the feasibility of doing it in the field. Essentially, this retrospective case study provided DSD to 10 cardiac arrest patients after five rounds of CPR and defibrillation. As Dr. Cabanas just said, this was more of a feasibility paper to show our EMS colleagues that this procedure could be done. Nonetheless, the results did show that three out of 10 patients who received DSD were able to be transported to the hospital, but did not survive discharge. So Dr. Cabanas and Dr. Williams, the results of your study demonstrated a return of spontaneous circulation, as you said of three out of 10 cardiac arrest patients that uh, your system treated, yet none of them survived to discharge from the hospital. What do you say to those who doubt the utility of this this procedure, or why do you guys still have faith in this procedure and still have it in your protocol? Well, I mean, I think clearly the procedure needs further study. I mean... That's Dr. Jeff Williams. It is certainly true that, that we have no idea whether double sequential external defibrillation Um, improve survival to discharge. Um, Co-author of this manuscript. And I think that's a difficult question. Um, You know, perhaps there's a multi-center cohort out there somewhere we could take a look at that. Um, But that said, the, uh, and and I'll quote uh, the good Dr. Kellerman here, I hope he doesn't mind, but the greatest predictor of survival to discharge from the hospital, from out of hospital cardiac arrest, is return of spontaneous circulation in the field. And I would argue that the best way to get return of spontaneous circulation in the field is to get that patient out of VF. And if your standard therapy for VF, uh, including initial 360-joule shock, potentially another 360-joule shock or two, an antidysrhythmic oppressor, you know, by the time you're on the third or fourth shock, I would argue that your standard therapy is not as effective. But assuming that doesn't work, um, you know, I think we would all agree that the sooner you get somebody out of VF, the better. And so what we're hoping to do by changing the protocol a little bit since the paper has been uh, published is to uh, deploy double sequential uh, if it's indicated a little bit earlier and try to get those people out of VF a little bit earlier and then hopefully if we, if we take another look at a cohort, um, uh, you know, in the intervening time uh, since this paper, you know, we may see some survivors. And I, and, and I agree with Jeff completely. So the, the, the first goal for this paper was not to demonstrate the effectiveness of the therapy, but to essentially communicate to, the, to our colleagues in the medical community that this procedure may be feasible in the pre-hospital setting, how to do it, learn from that, encourage additional research and and kind of have that conversation about what additional treatment modalities 
or additional strategies that we need for for our factory VF patients. And that's kind of what was the goal for this paper. And indeed, Dr. Cabanas and Dr. Williams achieved just that. They increased the national conversation about DSD, showed the nation that DSD could be done in a large pre-hospital setting, and sparked many questions about DSD that we don't have the answer to. What is refractory VFib? Can DSD help in this subpopulation? What is the optimal time to double sequential defibrillate? Is it five rounds or is it earlier? These questions are indeed floating out there, but probably the most important question everybody has is, does this help our cardiac arrest patients have good outcomes? So let's look at our PEC Journal's latest manuscript, just published this month, titled A Case Series of Double Sequential Defibrillation, to see if DSD can help produce good outcomes. We were always interested in pushing the envelope for CPR performance. That's Dr. Faison Arshad. And we were familiar with the work in Wake County with uh, Dr. Cabanas as well as Dr. Myers. One of the authors for the manuscript, a case series of double sequential defibrillation. And the mean time that the patient received double sequential dose was far beyond 30 minutes. And we thought perhaps by changing the protocol such that paramedics had access to this modality earlier in the resuscitation that it may potentially make a difference in outcomes. In essence, their EMS protocol allowed DSD to occur after the third round of shocks as opposed to the fifth round. But just to get the knowledge out there, we uh, pursued the case series of double sequence, sequence defibrillation and had a total of seven patients. Uh, the mean age of the patient was 62 and the total recess time averaged 34 minutes prior to the first double sequential dose. Now, the number of shingle, single shocks also was 5.4 prior to a DSD, with a mean of two total DSD shocks delivered during the code. We found that VF converted after DSD in five cases, so 57%. Four patients survived to admission, 43%, and three patients survived to discharge with a low CPC score. So just under 30% of our, our uh, cohort had good intact neurologic hospital discharge. So it seems by this study that we can save some lives if we possibly do DSD earlier. But do we defibrillate earlier? Maybe. Remember, each of these studies mentioned here are small case studies, so we can't completely extrapolate a definitive answer. So. Now back to the original case. You can see how Dr. Tan's decision to first change the vector of defibrillation, then say, okay guys, our backup plan will be to double sequential defibrillate. This can almost be seen as controversial. I, th I remember um, when I announced to the code team, this is what we're going to do. They all kind of looked at me like I was crazy and said, you're going <laughs> to do what? And I, don't think, I don't think we had done it uh, before. And which is what you ended up doing. Which is what we ended up doing. And ultimately, uh, as your readers will know from, from uh, going through the case report, that is what got him back. So that was the moneymaker, and you got him back. Yeah, it was really exciting for all of us. That's right. They double-sequenced defibrillated Will and obtained a return of spontaneous circulation. Will had a 16-day ICU stay, complicated with rhabdomyolysis, renal failure, and MRSA pneumonia, but eventually recovered transferred to the floor and discharged home with the only neurologic deficit of mild short-term memory loss. Since then, 
He has had several follow-up visits with the clinic and remains neurologically intact one year later with a CPC score of one. What can we learn from all of this? We can honestly say that DSD can be an option for those patients who are in refractory ventricular fibrillation. These DSD case studies provide our EMS specialty hope. Hope in that we can provide our communities an option that maybe we can save more of these types of patients with this intervention. But it will require dedicated researchers like you, our listeners, to answer the many questions associated with DSD. When do we do it? What's the optimal voltage? Is it a subset of VFib patients who benefit most from this? Does it damage the defibrillators? Does there need to be some sort of new technology to accommodate DSD? As E.E. E. Cummings said, always the beautiful answer who asks the more beautiful question. I, you know, I just want to add that clearly it's going to take more than just case reports, which is really what's out there at pre-hospital for DSD. Uh, I agree with Dr. Liebeck that what we really need to see is a lot more, uh, a lot more agencies adopting this, developing a more robust data set uh, to see what is the optimal point in time where you would employ DSD and what the best way to deploy this in the pre-hospital setting. I think it's very exciting. I can't wait to see more literature come out on this. And it's questions like these that lead to answers that will help save the lives of our patients and people like Will. Hey folks, did that catch your attention? I certainly hope so because on tomorrow's episode, I'm going to publish the full interview that Dr. Moy had with me in regards to our recent publication, a case series of double sequence defibrillation that's published in this month's journal of pre-hospital emergency care. Also, if you guys are interested in high-performance CPR and pushing the limits of pre-hospital care, we strongly encourage you to check out the absolutely free Apple Watch app entitled Perfect CPR. And what this does is it uses taptic and audio feedback in order to dial directly into that sweet spot, that evidence-based guided metrics to in order to get the best possible CPR outcomes possible, including getting the optimal rate, depth of compression, and all the other heuristics that it sometimes is difficult to keep track of during an arrest situation. So certainly check out Perfect CPR. This is Faison Arshad wishing everyone a safe tour.